एवरीवन वेलकम टू अनदर एडिशन ऑफ हिपो ब्रेन आर गेस्ट टुडे इज रुचिराज चौधरी रुचिराज इज द ऑथर ऑफ दिस वंडरफुल बुक व्हिच वी आर गोइंग टू डिस्कस टुडे ऑन कोचिंग अ फैंटास्टिक कवर एंड अ वेरी इंट्रीगिंग टाइटल दैट वी आर गोइंग टू टॉक अबाउट बट बिफोर दैट जस्ट टू इंट्रोड्यूस रुचिराज टू ऑल ऑफ यू रुचिराज हैज a tremendous experience global leadership experience over two decades uh, she's an executive coach faculty at multiple business schools she divides her time between india and singapore runs a boutique consulting firm and uh, her book uh, uh, which has been published recently is doing very well globally and uh, uh, to show it to you again it's a very interesting title coaching the secret code to uncommon leadership we're going to talk about that but before that ruchira what's all these circles and these squiggles and all of these <laughs> thank you very much thank you for that introduction and thank you for uh, inviting me to hippo brain not sure about the hippo brain but i feel uh, quite flattered nevertheless so thank you for the opportunity so this uh, is supposed to be abstract but it does have a meaning of course uh, i don't know cp gurnani who's uh, the ceo of tech mahindra he told me the book was lying uh, in his room he's contributed to it and his uh, mum walked in and said ek hi hai aise charkha hai but honestly it's not a charkha it was meant to be a knot which is getting entangled right and that's what coaching really does for you it helps take away the white noise it helps untangle and perhaps that's not it you know a therapist could do that for you as well coaching is the act of taking your performance and potential to a higher plane so what we were trying to explain through this visual was that you untangle then you go higher and you shine brighter and as a leader who takes people along in the journey who shines a light on others that individual is constantly taking people to the next level is constantly making them more innovative helping them shine brighter the beautiful phrasing that you've done uh let's get to the title now coaching and uncommon leadership so uh, we'll come to coaching but explain the uncommon leadership uh, bit of it thanks rajesh so you know i tried to write this in the introduction and i want to be very candid about it this was never meant to be a book about leadership per se right it doesn't give you the code to leadership and i think there are fantastic books in the market that talk about leadership and management this is a book about uncommon leadership and to unpack the thought uncommon leadership is about leaders that maximize their own success by doing that for others so you maximize the success of others you elevate them as you elevate your organizations and they truly believe that it's not just about building those million dollar empires it's also about the journey it's about taking others along in the journey it's about shining the light on them and it's truly about helping them grow and the best leaders do that by building the next line of leaders that to my mind is uncommon leadership and what i've done is i've used coaching as that uh, you know the chabi the key or as i called it the code to uncommon leadership i've tried to talk about why despite all the data that's available to us anecdotal evidence most managers honestly aren't the best coaches it's not something that's top priority for them and then i've tried to pivot from the why to the how so you can call it a practical guide of sorts if you truly do want to become that uncommon leader you want to use coaching as that code how should you get started so tips and tricks frameworks to do that for yourself 
uh, I've also tried to use examples from those that are doing it right. And that includes the world of sport and cricket and performing arts. And of course, my own life. I've eaten some examples here and there. And the last bit is uh, try to apply it in certain situations, right? So um, how can you enable more women leaders through coaching, crisis coaching, which frankly, at the time that I was writing the book, I had no idea. We would be in the throes of the biggest crisis ever. So when the book finally was coming out and it got delayed, understandably, by you know, several months, I went back to rejig that chapter to make it more current and then also added another chapter on um, coaching in times of the corona crisis. Frankly, I, I, I really hadn't paid any heed to the virtual element in coaching and uh, our world has completely transformed. So I went back and I also spent uh, some time focusing on that piece. And so I guess that's what the book is about. Yeah, and let me start with uh, one theme that you have uh, very early on. Mm-hmm. And you, you referred to the example from cricket and that's about uh, Tendulkar and you refer to Steve Waugh also. And the point that you make is excellence in performance yeah. doesn't lead to excellence in leadership. Right. You know, we in many times as managers and some leaders ourselves, we believe a person has done great you know, and then you elevate that person to a sort of managerial or a leadership role. And then you many times wonder why that doesn't happen. And uh, Tendulkar's case was a bit like that. Uh, so tell us about that. And therefore, you know, why is coaching uh, uh, different from just leading? Um, and also linked with that also becomes the fact that uh, as a leader, you also have to then inspire, motivate and coach. So we'll, we'll cover that, I think, uh, uh, as we discuss this analogy with cricket uh, to begin sure. with. Sure. Yeah. Um, cricket was, I think, uh, an example that I think really stood out. So I, I, as you've seen, I borrowed very liberally from the game to um, talk about the fact that superstars, superstar performers don't necessarily morph into superstar leaders or superstar captains. And as you go down the annals of history, you'll see time and again, there are examples that those that are fantastic at their craft, those that are fabulous solo performers, don't necessarily translate into fabulous leaders. And there are several reasons for that. So as you start to decode it, first things first, We've always sort of through school and college, we promote the best and the brightest. And we also encourage them to always have all the answers, right? We always need to know what's right. We always have to tell people what's right. And we we constantly keep promoting these people because we know that they can do no wrong. They're blue-eyed, they're fantastic. We give them disproportionate resources to do the job. And often that somehow translates into a sense of entitlement. Leadership is not about being entitled. Leadership is a responsibility. It's about taking others along. And there is this misplaced notion. The other thing we forget when we constantly promote these fantastic performers is that the best also need nurturing. The best also need to hone their craft. Now let's take Sachin's example, right? That's slightly different. In Sachin's case, he was, uh, by his own admission, a very reluctant leader. He was so fabulous at what he did he didn't want to be burdened with the captain series, but it seems that there was a point when he had no choice. We believed he was the best that we had and hence the best had to, they had to shine the light on the best. Now, just because you are the best performer, as I said earlier, you may not be the best captain because often the traits that make for a great player or a great um, corporate player are very, are at odds with what makes you a great leader. So. 
think about fantastic performer. We think of passion, uh, drive, focus. Often, in some cases, also some sort of self-obsession. Right? But then you translate that to the traits that you need to be a successful leader. Empathy, uh, taking others along in the journey, integrity, being able to put yourself in others' shoes. With Sachin, the challenges were different. It wasn't about self-obsession. In whose case, he did the best he could, but he really didn't know where he was going wrong. We didn't think to nurture him, coach him, and make him that leader who could take others along in the journey. And the second bit is some of these fantastic solo performers can't be directors of the orchestra because when you're so obsessed or focused with your craft, um, you know, we call it the capability gap. You're unable to understand why somebody can't do it as well as you can, right? We sort of benchmark everybody. We, we sort of use the same exacting standards for others as we use for ourselves. So we find it very hard to take them away. So think about reluctance, think about this sort of uh, so, this solo performers. And the last bit is about what I call, and I've borrowed from um, Margaret Hefferman, the, chick, the super chicken theory, right? If we rear all our corporate players to be super chickens where you are the best and we constantly keep promoting them just because they're achieving their numbers, they don't know what it is to lead people. So we have to think, we have to make this strong distinction between performance and potential. And organizations need to start doing that rather early on. The way they hire and also the way they promote people. Not everybody who's fantastic needs to lead. I, I, I love the fact, Ruchira, that you made the very tight, but it sounds very subtle difference between performance and potential. Because uh, I have always got into an organization that said perform, 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 perform. And uh, only potential end of the year, yeah, potential show, yeah, we are talking performance ratings. And nobody really bothers about potential ratings. Hmm. And sometimes in long term, you make this grid of performance and potential and you try and box people <laughs> A1, B2, C1, A2. Uh. And it just goes for a mess. And the organization is designed, funnily enough, I don't know, I mean, rightly or wrongly, to get high performance and it only rewards them, of course, with money and other, by saying now you get a bigger team and a bigger team. Yeah. And you end up with some serious drivers on the top. And uh, they're the ones who take a gun or a whip and they go, cut, 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 cut. And they also give results. So right. I, I'm not so sure. I, I, I hear you. I understand. But in a capitalistic society, does it sound a little socialist? <laughs> I don't know. The socialist <laughs> is the right word. No, no. I, I appreciate it. I'm just trying to push you. But no, you're, you're doing a great job of pushing me. Uh, I'm, I'm not getting ranked. Uh, I just, I'm going to respond to you. So first things first, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with the capitalist model that you are promoting. You should be focusing on the numbers, by the way. That's, you know, you're in the business of making revenues. But what I'm saying is you could focus on the numbers and your people. What experts are telling you today, and I think this thinking started changing about a decade ago, so I think in the late 90s, the balance scorecard came around. But there was this school of thought that, you know, it's great to, yeah. great to achieve your financials. And that's why, that's why you do what you do. But there are a bunch of other things you need to take, uh, do along with that, right? So it's the processes in your organization. It's your customers. It's a governance. It's, how, it's a structure. But it's also about your people, you know, building those reservoirs of uh, human capital. And some of the... Uh, some of the people that you talk about who've achieved some fantastic financial results, 
if you were to start analyzing it, many of them achieve stardom, but they also shine bright and fade away. So they achieve success, but then they hit a ceiling. But those that have retained this aura or those that we think back in history as being fabulous leaders or what I call uncommon leaders are those that have done it all. They've built the empires and they've taken people along. They've enabled others while they've enabled themselves and their organizations. And um, I guess the reasons for that are, you know, as I was saying earlier, it doesn't have to be either or. Why can't it be both? Why does it have to be just about the numbers? Because, you know, um, why does our metrics has, has, has to be about a QBR, a quarterly business results or what you've achieved? We could do a lot more than that, couldn't we? In times like this in the pandemic, do we constantly have to just, just focus on, come on, let's do the review for the next quarter. Can we truly think about taking a step back and saying, can I be a little more empathetic to the needs of our people? And can I really think about uh, what, it, what it is that might engage your people to do more at a time like this? Those are the traits that a standard leader will miss in this quest for numbers alone. You have a great quote uh, in the book. Um, think people and numbers, grow your people, identify their strengths and hone them. The numbers will follow. The best leaders, needless to say, generate the numbers, but aiming for the numbers alone does not always create great leaders. So just to pick up on this, and this is where sort of the coaching idea, of course, comes in. As a leader, how can I grow my people? How can I identify their strengths? How can I hone them? That's actually the whole premise of the book, right? As a leader, first be cognizant that um, when you try and build and enable them or coach them, it's not about telling them what to do. It's asking them what to do. As I said earlier, we've always been told from school and college that a manager needs to have all the answers. Command and control style or telling people what to do used to be the norm. And frankly, there is a growing acknowledgement that that world has changed, right? A leader cannot have all the answers. But the challenge is in times of stress or duress or crisis, we revert to that style without even knowing about it. See, prior to World War II, we had these sort of self-contained businesses. It was easy. It, I'm not saying it was easy, it was simpler. Post-World War II, we had organizations with some offshore operations that was marketing and sales in different countries. Okay, it got a little more complex. But now the world has completely changed, right? It's a very complex ecosystem. Um, we are very wired, we are very digital, there's AI, no leader can have all the answers. And this is the time where you have to leverage the collective intelligence of your people. This is the time where you have to enable them, you need to give them a platform where you need to give them a voice. And let's take a step back. When we say coaching, it's not just a series of structured conversations in your conference room every three months or every two months. Coaching is everything. It's shining the light on others. It's having those uh, snatched moments in a car park by the proverbial water cooler. It's feedback in the moment when your boss's boss is visiting from the global headquarters, ensuring that you, know, you take a team member along. Or as Deep Kalra said to me, when they hire, the newest hire is often taken for a client meeting. They do this to position the individual so that you know, he, has, he or she has some, uh, you know, he, his or her brand in front of the client. Uh, is shines brighter, you position the individual. And there's so many other examples, right? So don't think about coaching as a conversation alone. Coaching is all of these things. And as a good leader, 
you have to appreciate that you can no longer have all the offices. So you need to work with your people. And it takes, I, the reason it takes so much work is because it's uncomfortable, right? Firstly, you have to be vulnerable in, in front of somebody that you don't have the answer. And the second is, we are so um, sort of used to having tangible results. You know, we have to get to a solution very quickly. Now, coaching is completely contrary to that. Coaching is a lot of asking and uh, it's not telling people. And it's not building mini-me's, which is, it's not your own playbook. Oh, so I've been successful in the past by doing this. So this is how you do it. And even the best of managers, uh, they confuse coaching with telling people uh, what made them successful is what other people should follow. So there's a variety of sort of, uh, you know, uh, I guess, nuances at play here as you sort of, so first I would say, understand what coaching is, what enabling is, and then find the appropriate forum to do it. It can be structured, it can be unstructured, it can be in the moment, and it can be planned well in advance. But you know, there's an interesting thing that I want to pick up from here, and it's, it's, a, it's got to do a little bit with, uh, and just forgive me, I'm using a little bit of my life and my experience here. Sure. Um, see, I, earlier, you know, I also used to be um, a young kid, a management trainee, directly 20 um, older people are reporting you just because you are an MBA. <laughs> and then I thought my job was to give directions. <laughs> and I, I think over the years, I'm, I'm pretty embarrassed if I look back at my old self and how I thought coaching was. And I think what you're saying is absolutely right. But there is slight, uh, what these days I've been thinking, and I want your reaction on it. Um, a lot of time over the years, you know, so many people have given me feedback that I don't know who I am right now. Okay. Ki I'm trying to be something. I'm trying to be something else. I'm trying to, somebody said, Gusa mat ho, koi bolta, itna drive mat karo, koi bolta, ye mat karo. But Jamit, you know, in meetings, you are like this. And I am now losing my head. Um, and my hair <laughs> and <laughs> one of the things is now I, I tell you what I've been doing and you, you I just wanted to help you uh, react on that I've been telling people see this is where I think you're doing this maybe these are the reactions that you may get these are the results that you may get in my life I have not done this but you figure out and I'm not saying feedback means change feedback just means this is what I know now you figure it out now, this is this big thing. I don't know. I've been thinking that. Mat bolo kisi ko. Apna experience do. Explain what you see. Absolutely. Beyond that, let the person find a new paradigm for himself. I don't know whether I'm doing right or wrong. or this Absolutely. Is Absolutely. And actually, I think you've said it very eloquently. A lot more than I did. Because I meandered all over the place. That's what happens when you write a book. thousand <laughs> words in it, right? You, you want to say everything. But I think you said it very eloquently. If I can give you some unsolicited advice. Yes, yes. Right? You Correct. have to you have to take a lot of this feedback with a pinch of salt because at the end of the day, um, feedback is only one component of coaching, by the way, right? And uh, it's great to get the feedback from those that you trust, those that perhaps either are in positions that, uh, you know, you value and they're adding value to your life. Either you trust or your job is to trust. Fair enough, fair enough. So that's one aspect of it. But the second is, um, the second aspect is feedback, as I was saying, it's just one component of coaching. The whole premise of coaching is not what you did right or what you did wrong. That's just one aspect. It is about helping somebody find their own path. You have to write your own playbook, right? You have to be able to um, find solutions to your problems. 
and the individual who's coaching you is the guide right and that's why we often confuse mentors for coaches whether it's corporate life or otherwise we use a term, term very interchangeably but there is a very very clear distinction a mentor is somebody who gives you gyan who counsels you who gives you advice typically older has a lot of influence does not need to be in your organization but someone whose path you've crossed right ex client somebody you just have a great equation with and who's seen you at work right uh, believes in you and basically these people dispense wisdom but a coach is not giving you that gyan the coach is helping you find your path so they do a lot of asking not telling and they i guess said the simplest way to describe it is they surrender a lot of control and they give more power to the question than the answer so they ask you the right question to help you find your own solutions and that's what we say right unleashes uh, the innovation the creativity the untapped reservoirs because it's not about creating mini memes it's not about having this having someone replicate what you did and what made you successful a good leader understands that if you want to enable others you have to give them the space and time to think and innovate would you like to uh, give us some examples of uncommon leaders you know people uh, you of course talked about quite a few of them in the book but uh, some examples which will help us you know visualize what this uncommon leadership is about yeah so i think there's a lot of satyanadella in the book Uh, of course i'm biased he's a senior from business school so uh, uh, i met him in person is very inspiring but more than that uh, i think the things that stand out is he talks a lot about uh, how he took over a broken microsoft and he said he course he did the right things to your point to achieve the numbers in the business strategy context whether it was cloud computing or ai but he said all of that was great but the one thing he felt he was doing right in his own unassuming uh, fashion was he focused on the c in the ceo which is the culture of the organization and he said he was a guardian of the culture and he started first by listening to people so i think the first year all he did was listen he listened to different groups and functions uh, his head of hr and a whole group of people and people uh, who have sort of uh, remarked he said it doesn't matter what level you were in the organizational hierarchy he listened to you very actively and there was just no difference without interruptions he spent a lot of time assimilating it and then came back with what they call the excellence framework which every leader is meant to be a model as in a role model they need to coach and they need to care for their employees but that's just the output of two years of listening clearly he did a lot of other things right they were a broken system uh, very siloed each uh, function was pitted against the other the performance metrics i think you mentioned it in the passing the incentives were such that there was no you you there was no incentive for collaboration with each other right it was always about if my functional unit achieved xyz that's where the rewards were so you have to go back and relook at how you bring all these components together to have a culture that truly um, empowers and elevates everybody so he's one and this is of course a, a case study i've used in the book but i think a lot of people in their own ways are fantastic uh, you know uh, uncommon leaders back to the cricketing example we know dhoni is quite an uncommon leader again wasn't wasn't a stellar individual performer the best rather great performer obviously that's why he's in the team but he wasn't the best but there was clearly a lot that he did as a leader to take people along in the journey to build the morale to constantly give them positive feedback reinforce it 
course, there's a lot of literature on him. So, cricketing. Take Sharu Sandberg, who is given the, she's endorsed my book. Okay. Of course, I'm biased because I, but I've experienced these people firsthand. So, I wrote to her uh, when the book was nearly done. Um, and I had many moons ago uh, moderated an event for the University of Chicago and Lee. So, I've never met Cheryl, and uh, this is the only connection we have. And the, you know, the session had gone well. We had some C very high profile CEOs. And so I'd got a note from her office saying, thank you. And that was it. And that was a few years ago. So I sent her this email saying, this is a book I've written. And I know it's an area that you're passionate about. I've borrowed some examples from your life, but it's largely about enablement and coaching. And there's a chapter on women's um, leadership as well. And let's just say I wrote to a lot of people. And because of the University of Chicago, I, you know, I am connected. Um, some of them did politely decline, some didn't. She wrote back to me almost immediately. I think I fell off the bed. It was like midnight here. And she sent me a very sweet one-liner saying, I would love to help you, but I have so much going on in my life right now. I can't write your forward. I had approached her for the forward. And I said, okay, my God, this is my chance. So I wrote back to her as nicely as I could, firstly thanking her for reading my long-winded email. And I said, you know, okay, do you think you could write a blurb? So she wrote back. She said, you realize it's the same thing. I will still read your book. <laughs> so, okay, I'll do my best. And that's it. So I didn't hear any, send me the manuscript. And, you know, as you can imagine, I was uh, quite nervous at that point. And I called Penguin and everybody was like, you know, dizzy. We sent her what we had. It wasn't 100% by then, but I didn't want to, you know, I wanted to give her time. And she said, she responded, I'll do it. Uh, give me time, I'll do my best. Now, obviously, if she doesn't like the book, that's the end of it. Three weeks go by. And one fine day, this really eloquent, really nicely worded blurb arrived saying, Thank you. It's a, a uh, thank you for giving me the opportunity. Uh, I love reading your book. It was fantastic. I hope you like the blurb. That was it. There was no drama around it. But to me, I the woman stands. She's a true inspiration for a lot of women and men across the world. Uh, she talks about lean in in terms of you know the whole concept of leaning in, helping others, elevating them, shining the light on them. I thought she was a fantastic role model, and she did exactly that for me. So she's my hero for life, right? And uh, of course, I do a lot of work for them now, gratis or otherwise, but that's it. And apparently when she joined Facebook, she went to the desk of every employee, thousands of employees, just saying, hi, I'm Cheryl, and spending about a few minutes talking to each one of them, it seems. And to me, those are traits of an uncommon leader. You don't have to do something big and flashy, but just letting people know that they're important, just forming that connection with them. I think it's... I think that's the premise, that's a foundation of elevating, shining, coaching, all of those things that I talk about in the book. Very interesting, Ruchira. And yeah, you're right. A lot of uncommon leaders have this ability to uh, really raise the bar for all of them. And sometimes their ability to coach is by not coaching only. You just look at them and the way they express and yes. the way they explain. And afterwards, I've had some of the best bosses look, come back and and you know, every time somebody writes to me or I feel like, okay, I have to give back now, right? She's just become such a fantastic role model for me. Yeah, right? yeah. So. yeah, yeah. There, there, there's coaches by being, <laughs> not by coaching. But yes, uh, yes. <laughs> just if I just step back a little bit, uh, in my life, again, I'm trying to go again, uh, uh, sorry, free consulting advice. <laughs> um, I've seen a lot of coaching work if you allow failures 
Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Now, now this is very complicated. So uh, I'll tell you what, over a period of time, I was a digital marketer, then I became a, a marketer, then a digital marketer. And now for some reason, I've become a digital transformation guy. And that's, that's just part of the this thing. Anything that increases my value. <laughs> so one of the things that we have to do is we try and look at existing systems. We look at existing processes and we want to transform it. According to me, it is not possible without making mistakes. Because when you're trying to pick it up, it is impossible to transform it knowing exactly where each wire is plugged in. And you're bound to make mistakes. But also at the same time, the pressure that it has to be right. It has to be perfect. Take your time. Use agile as a methodology. Use this, use this, use DevOps to ensure that everything is going fast and good and everything. And I'm 100% sure transformation may failure hone wala hai. It becomes very difficult at the end of the year to write down on an appraisal sheet, either for me or for the people under me. We failed on these three projects, but we learned a lot. But I also know heart in heart that if I have let them fail, yes, next year, the rewards for the firm are crazy high. Absolutely. But the firm, I'm not so sure, is able to reward this failure. How does one coach in such situations, which to my mind, probably are 95 to 98% of organizations? So you're absolutely right. And in fact, there's a chapter where I talk about, uh, you know, lifting off, which is how do you get started on the coaching journey? What are some of the prerequisites to coach? And I've uh, described a story from Bhutan, actually. Uh, but the story later, but the title is, uh, the subtitle is creating safe spaces, right? You cannot expect people to stretch themselves. You cannot expect people to do things differently or innovate or untap, uh, you know, or uh, unleash their potential. If you don't give them a space, a safe space where it's okay to fail, where this iteration of failure and success is what drives them to go forward. And as a leader, you have to take that, you have to take that judgment call when you can allow them to fail. And you have to be very upfront about it, um, that mistakes can be tolerated, but you also have to be very clear with your expectations that meaning you can keep failing nonstop, right? You need to find, you have to learn from that failure. So you need to have a clear cycle of learning. And often what happens is uh, when you're coaching somebody, typically senior leaders, they'll say, you know, I keep getting caught into the nitty gritty. I want to step away. I want to spend more time on being more strategic, but I'm constantly getting into the weeds. And, you know, often I just tell them step back. Why is it that you won't give people more responsibility? Why won't you empower them? And I realize often it's not that these people want to be micromanagers. Many of them, frankly, want to let go. They realize they don't have the bandwidth. They just don't know how, because intrinsically you don't trust that people will do, they will, they will perform as per your expectations. And there's a chicken and egg story. And the reason that happens is you've never given them a platform to fail. You've never told them that it's okay to take a risk that's why they're always so risk averse and they're always saying that I can't send this email out without you seeing it boss, right? Or I won't do this. So we have to start creating this ecosystem where it's easy to fail, it's okay to fail. And again, since you asked me for free consulting advice, it is free consulting advice. You have to start small. Give them smaller projects where the stakes are not so high, right? If it's a clearly a big global project where things have to be 100%. This is not the time you're going to tell them, okay, if you fail, it's fine. You need to, as a leader, carve out those opportunities for them. Perhaps sometimes even use uh, buffered timelines, right? Create some artificial pressure. Uh, 
you need to see make them perform under pressure and you need to tell them hey this is your show dude i'm out of here this is your show right to the global ceo you can cc me i'm just making up these stories but you have to give them the exposure the platform they have to own these decisions and they'll only own these decisions if they know it's okay to make mistakes so it's a complex problem it's very layered but it's a chicken and egg story if we don't tell them that up front they will not take the risks and they don't take the risks we won't give them more responsibility and frankly as a result you will be saddled with a lot more so nobody's nobody's winning the in the game richard one part of coaching is also being coached right and, um, um and i think uh, one thing which has become common in recent times is yeah. a lot of uh, people when they get to senior levels they try and find a personal coach for themselves sure. um so i think there are two aspects to coaching therefore there is one where you have to coach others in your team yes uh, and i want to cover that also in terms of the fact that uh, most of the times we are taught to manage but not coach you know that's one thing but let's talk a little about the fact that i mean uh, this because when i am i'm seeking out a coach okay it's also me uh, putting my vulnerabilities on the table exactly. it's not an easy thing because i have seen in my own company you know some coaching assignments have worked but uh, few did not work uh, and it's very hard to sort of pinpoint eventually what happened because it's a one to one equation so right. how can this relationship also be made to work where individuals seek out coaches themselves absolutely in fact i encourage a lot of people to seek out coaches whether it's organizationally or personally right um, and and as i think i've said that as well quite explicitly these are not mutually exclusive you can your leader has to be that coach right who's it's like a continuum right you constantly have to enable and build people uh, but you can bring in uh, an external coach or an executive coach for short bursts of time you have to make the distinction between a coach and a crutch right often we get so dependent on the other individual so you have to start thinking about what junctures you need to bring in the coach now so if you are at the top of the pyramid as a ceo as an entrepreneur as a founder it's slightly different because you don't have that many uh, sources of feedback to begin with right it's as i say it's lonely at the top literally and metaphorically because you aren't getting too much and the folks that are below you in that pyramid may not give you unsolicited feedback especially if you're not somebody who's created an ecosystem of coaching and feedback so for entrepreneurs for you know people that are at the top of the pyramid i would definitely encourage them if you have a board that gives you feedback great but the two can the twain can work together but as you go down the value chain a lot of senior management a lot of middle managers now increasingly will get executive coaches first and foremost it's chemistry right but the second is you have to think about when you want that coach it's very important to know when not just why uh, if your organization is going through a huge change there's an acquisition lots is changing there's lots of anxiety great time to get an executive coach if there's a lot of transitions so you're moving from senior management to middle management or you or you're changing roles etc great time to bring in a coach um or let's say you need very you need new skills and capabilities very quickly publishing houses for the there was a time where they really wanted you not because coaches could come in bring in their digital expertise but it was about a mindset change you done this you've been working the same way for so long 
and suddenly you had to completely you know change the way you had to learn new skills you had to be agile you had to be nimble and you know as they say it's not as hard to learn a new skill as it is to let go of your old beliefs it's a process of unlearning that is the hardest and that's when you need coaches who can tag team and also let's face it when you have the leader as coach there are some biases that are likely to creep right the same individual does appraise you and the same individual does have a point of view on your remuneration if you're in a traditional corporate setup so there there are clearly benefits to having that executive coach the unbiased non judgmental individual who can tag team with your uh, current manager or your boss so absolutely and uh, ruchira uh, i think what you also spoke about coaching and uh, coachy relationship with the coach etc i think it's a, it's a very interesting uh, thing i obviously i would want to be i would be more amenable to co- be coached from somebody i trust or somebody who actually is doesn't directly what you like doesn't directly affect does it make sense that uh, i'll give you this example uh, from in some cultures mom and dad ka role nahi hota hai scold karna chillana it is the uncle auntie and typically the uncle auntie or the other guy who's laterally somewhere is the best one to teach you about life or explain to you etc so how does that happen in a corporate setup because uh, boss but is there a role for somebody else to help me from outside talk to absolutely. me and help absolutely see we have these labels right coaching is about helping you find the answers and we say i think uh, rajesh asked me that very early on the uh, leadership and coaching i have to go back i didn't answer that question i think in entirety to me leadership and coaching are not two separate disciplines by the way you cannot be a good leader without being a coach right so that's a given so we need to expect our managers and our leaders to constantly be you know enabling us taking our capability to the next level so that goes without saying but there's nothing that stops us from looking for others we can have like a board of advisors almost and that be that board should really increase in number as we climb that corporate ladder or whatever we believe uh, is our ascent doesn't have to be a traditional organization as an entrepreneur as a venture capitalist as a gig worker we decide right the more the merrier so think about think about carefully curating these roles where can you get the advice from a mentor where can you have someone who can coach you so again the difference is that the coach is observing you in action unlike a mentor who watches it from the balcony right they dispense this wisdom and gyan but they're not necessarily there where all the action is taking place on the football field so anybody who's coaching you needs to directly be in the line or needs to be in your current ecosystem who knows how you're doing day to day right observing giving you feedback etc now if that comes from a peer or somebody else in the business unit who's senior and you trust absolutely go ahead go for it you should but there is a role for the mentors and there is a third category that i've also introduced briefly but uh, in the chapter where i've talked about enabling women leaders and that's what i call the sponsor the sponsor goes a step ahead and actually opens doors for you right so think about the coach as somebody um uh, think about the mentor who uh, guides a coach helps you become more capable and a sponsor invests in you so this should be the person who could pick up the phone and say i think jamet is the best digital marketer i've ever met i think he needs to be the global head of whatever wherever you want to go next jamet but this individual should be the one 
who without a moment's hesitation should stick his or her neck out and really do this thing. And honestly, as we go through the corporate life, we go through uh, our work lives, we realize there are a lot of people telling us what to do, right? It's easier to tell people what to do than actually to make it happen. So I encourage people to look for those sponsors early on in their life. People who um, you have credibility with, people who know what a great job that you're doing and people who will be willing to stick their necks out. One of the frameworks you have in the book is this uh, 4C plus uh, that you talk about. Uh, so capability, clarity, confidence, uh, consciousness on a foundation of culture. So yeah. Can you just sort of elaborate on that briefly? Because I think that will get us to the heart of really uh, what coaching is about. Briefly, I'll try. <laughs> you can stop me. <laughs> I know, I know. I'm I joking. About that, no, but... I'm kidding. No, no, I'm kidding. But that's so... Uh, to be very honest, as I started, as you start to write a book on coaching and, you know, you delve into the reasons for why people aren't coaching and all of that, and you build a business, compelling business case, as I thought I did, for why a leader is the best coach. I realized that I've been an executive coach for a while. That's not my, wasn't my journey. I was a consultant and it happened to me. Call it serendipity. Um, so I, you know, and I realized it was a very deeply fulfilling experience because someone who has a background in business strategy, I was very, um, I was somehow able to very seamlessly marry classroom learnings into a, a leader's current trials and tribulations, right? So I would, I started with coaching for business schools. Typically it was their uh, executive education program. So somebody like you, a C-level person, a founder would be part of that program. And skeptical as I was thinking it was all fuzzy and amorphous, you know, I'd gone to a business school which prides itself on its numerator abilities, all of that. So anyway, to digress, so that's how my journey started. And I didn't know what coaching was. In fact, I was almost disdainful when I was told, come and be our executive coach. So I said, I run game theory. I'm a, you know, I'm, I have a concentration in business strategy. Okay, I'm certified and all that. I, 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 I consult a lot of CEOs and I've been told that people listen, listen to me and, you know, we work well together. But I didn't see myself as a coach because frankly, I didn't know what coaching was. And once I sort of started this as an experiment with the University of Chicago, the Booth School of Business, uh, needless to say that a lot has changed since 2013, right? And I do this for now many other business schools. Okay. So after meandering all over the place, let's go to your uh, question. So when I started to write the book, I realized I didn't know what coaching really did. I keep saying untangle the knots and they are straight. But think about somebody who's reading the book, you want, when you're building a compelling business case, you want to also tell them what are the coaching outcomes your coachee or your team member will achieve when you coach them, right? And so as I started my search, I looked at a lot of HR journals. I did a lot, I mean, I've done a fair bit of research. I looked at coaching websites from the ICFs to this. And I realized apart from the same sentences, which is, you know, uh, unleash potential, untapped reservoirs of potential. There was all the great stuff, but what does that really mean? So I then said, okay, let's, let's distill this. Let's crystallize this. And I found my inspiration in some very unlikely places, right? Film, sport. And then I started to decode it. And I, then I came down to the model, which is the four C's, as my professor, Michael Gibbs, uh, who's mentioned in the book, is also my mentor. He told me a good academic needs to have a model. So make sure your book has a good model. Don't just write it, put it in a framework. And I did. So the first C stands, the first cornerstone stands for clarity. Oh, many people that I interviewed, uh, many corporate leaders or otherwise in the course of writing the book said they felt the biggest 
uh, contribution of coaching by their bosses was that it gave them clarity, right? It was, it was almost like what I said to you earlier, it was about there's so much white noise. It's not as if we don't know the answers. There's so much going on in our heads that these problems or these issues, they become very big knots. And what it does is when somebody who's unbiased and non-judgmental is helping you, you unravel, you untangle, but you also help form these distinct patterns. So you're able to channelize it. So it gives you clarity to go forward, right? And often you do it in a linear fashion. You help scenario mapping, et cetera. And I put in some interesting examples. So I thought the second piece is um, capability, right? That's what we associate coaching with. But what does capability again mean? Capability is about inventing your own career ladder. It's about, it's about helping your coachee understand that it's okay that you don't have to go from being an account manager to a senior account manager. You don't, it doesn't have to be a vertical career path. It could be a career framework. You could go zigzag and you could still, you know, be successful, whatever success means to you. That's what good coaching is. It's about uh, unleashing, <laughs> to go back to the cliche, those reservoirs of creativity, right? It's about connecting the dots. I've used some examples from Richard Branson and he how he calls them the ABCD, about connecting the dots. So I've used examples like that. The third piece is consciousness, which what we call, you know, um, self-awareness, right? And how do you get that consciousness? You get that consciousness by seeking feedback, right? Feedback from various sources, you stretch, you think beyond your immediate uh, horizon. So conscious comes in many different ways. And then the last piece, which is, so there's capability, there's uh, uh, clarity, there's uh, consciousness and there's confidence, right? At the heart of all of this is, you really, really need to make your coachee or your colleague believe that he or she can do it. We have the knowledge, we have the skills, we just sometimes lack that confidence to move forward. So that's confidence. And I've said all of this will come to life if you are in an organization that has culture at the foundation of it. You truly need to embed it into the DNA of your organization. Uh, Ruchiram, uh, just uh, another, again, from my life. I, you know what, uh, what, you, what you're speaking about? Seeking feedback. And I think that's pretty critical. When I just, now as you speak and I go back in my life, some of the people who affected me, of course, have been those handful of bosses or coaches that have really managed to pull me up or take me along and say, you know, just unleash my potential. <laughs> but uh, I think some of the most interesting um, interactions with which I have grown have been the people who reported into me. Fantastic. So over a period of time, what has happened is some people, you know, over three years, four years, they've built a very nice, happy relationship with you. They know exactly their mood is going when you should speak, how you should speak to someone. And these people have the ability to give feedback or connect in such a manner that you honestly improve dramatically. I think more than a boss down, I think down to the boss, I think that part of the coaching ability has been um, overlooked largely as if I look back on my life and my experiences. Absolutely. And, and as I said, Road, go back to role modeling. Role modeling comes in many ways. When you build an ecosystem where it's okay to seek feedback upwards or downwards or sideways, right? Where it's not taken personally. That's when I think you get the most enablement, I guess, for the lack of a better word, right? It helps you go further because 
you know that the individual is giving you that feedback from a position of love because their only desire is to make you shine brighter to make you go higher right and that evolve, that relationship will evolve over time right and by the way nowhere am i saying that this coaching has to be very soft and fuzzy and and very nurturing there's also tough love coaching right we've seen some of the most um, their best leaders uh, that i describe as uncommon leaders they've been very tough cookies but the one thing they do differently is they let you know that they have exacting standards they have this rel relentless pursuit for um, excellence and they have very clear expectations from you but all of that is coming from a place of uh, love for you i guess because they constantly want you to raise the bar on yourself right these are the same people who can be really harsh in a meeting but they can also take you out for drinks at the pub later and you know you know that uh, there's time for work and there's time for play so we have to start stop thinking of coaching as being this soft and fuzzy and nurturing thing it can be both it can be nurturing but it can also be it can be you know hard work i've had this prof who would give us uh, tests every week and you go back to business school at 34 man i can tell you he wasn't very popular with us but i look back at my life and a lot of what i've learned in strategy is because i actually had to study and you know we had good times later and now he's one of the few people i will stay in touch with and he's been a fantastic mentor to me right but i remember it was really hard work and you would curse and quit and complain because a lot of the other people didn't really care especially when you go back for a mid career mba it's okay some of them take it very seriously then the others will tell you honestly it's self inflicted torture right they figure that you're doing it because you want to do it and people like me if there are no tests Uh, there's a no way i'm going to look at a book a good desi that i am uh, prior to a day before the exam but he would give us weekly tests and honestly i think my learning in that area was so much more than any other subject i think that's coaching too and that's just tough love coaching richard you have a section um, towards the end of the book on uh, coaching during tough times like what we've gone through uh, during the pandemic and it's now a very different world i mean we don't even know if we'll go back to where all of us will be in office at the same time absolutely okay. uh, so a lot of those personal interactions group meetings are yeah. now likely to be hybrid uh, that uh, in person uh, sitting yeah. across in the same room that touch is probably not going to be there how does coaching work in this sort of scenario where really you're you're talking to a screen a lot of the time Uh, before you answer ruchira just before you answer just adding a little bit to it to my mind coaching works when it is not okay this is coaching time or yes. i take half an hour slots to coach someone <laughs> you know and today if i have to talk to anyone i have to take a slot my calendars are slotted every my uh, people who work with me are slotted my side <laughs> ratros are sorted my boss so everything is just one one blue box i think whoever designed the microsoft calendar has having his fantasy come alive isme coaching exactly in these tough times and in this paradigm i think it's extremely extremely difficult i and it's just not natural it isn't natural and unfortunately this is the world that we live in now right i had completely honestly omitted it i didn't even allude to it and uh, from the time the book was ready which is uh, about february last year Uh, to the time it got released which was jan uh, or february this year the world had completely transformed and i had to and i've never been a fan and i've said that in the book for virtual coaching but this is the world we live in and this is 
uh, how we need to uh, take ourselves you know to the next level so i'll answer both your questions one by one firstly coaching in corona times or in a hybrid world or perhaps in a virtual world most of the time coaching was bad enough right in the sense no let me rephrase it was hard enough for a leader to coach when he or she met uh, his or her team regularly in office it was never a it was never a strength for a lot of leaders um, one because it didn't come naturally to them or two they didn't know uh, that when they were coaching they were simply telling people and for a lot of people um, being um, face to face being vulnerable it's a lot just a lot just easier to sort of do this because you pick up the nuances in a in a conversation now when you move when you do this through a screen through a zoom call or a microsoft meeting or whatever you have it's harder at so many levels but there are a few things a good leader should keep in mind one uh, as peter drucker said when you look out of the window see what you can see and also what you can't see now that window unfortunately has to be your screen right so pick up the nuances and the spoken words and the unspoken words make the time to check in on your people so honestly try not to go straight to work each time check in just make time for small talk even if it's something that doesn't come naturally to you as a leader you will just have to consciously do this because we need to we need to form those connections and those connections are so much harder to do in the virtual world so you need to take that time when you find that there are people who are not who are present but not really present in a meeting you need to make time aside to check in on them if they're struggling and frankly if it doesn't have to be a video call as a leader pick up the phone use whatsapp find the medium that works best for you i think we've become so fixated with these video calls that we have completely stopped being spontaneous and we also have to be empathetic to everybody's individual reality i use this example all the time um it's a beautiful poem right we are not in the same storm uh, no we are not in the same boat we are all in the same storm right it's a raging storm but some of us have ocean liners and some of us have lifeboats and some of us are frankly barely clinging on to a dinghy right so our worlds are very different spotty internet connections barking dogs young kids smaller spaces but jamit jamit it wasn't about you but generally speaking uh, <laughs> it is typically about your, It is typically pressure cooker ka city <laughs> when i am presenting yeah. to the chairman exactly so everybody is and you have to truly truly be empathetic to the reality yeah. of individuals right and that's also coaching and so be aware be in be present is what i keep saying switch off your phone and uh, i have a client and i've been coaching them for you know the senior leadership team for a long time he says i tell them after 6 pm we are not doing uh you know we are not doing any structured meetings it's 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 quite an impressive thing for him to do but when he does that he's sending out a signal to everybody that they don't have to be available 24 by 7 they can answer the emails when they do he says i have to take a break between 6 to 9 i have things to do i have i'm a single parent i've got lots going on in my life and i tell them you can get back to me anytime if it's urgent just pick up the phone and call me i also have another client who says every evening 5 to 6 is a time for any of his direct reports to call in and if they need resolution on anything we'll do it then in five minutes right these are not ideal but in your own way you need to craft that ecosystem where you encourage people where encourage people to um, get some get some me time where you where you truly appreciate that our personal and professional boundaries constantly keep colliding 
So we need to set some boundaries for our people and you need to be upfront. So unless a leader sends out the right signals, it's not going to happen. That's also coaching, right? It's about all of that. It's about empathy. It's about building those reservoirs of trust. It's about just being there for your people. And I think to me, the biggest sort of lesson here is do bite-sized conversations. We don't have the time for those 30 minutes that we blocked in our calendar for structured meeting. Do it, be there in the moment, try and observe, try and be more inclusive. And after a meeting, you feel somebody is not responding or somebody else is talking too much. Use your phone, send a WhatsApp and say, let's get together. Just curious to find out what's going on with you. Uh, and the last bit is, uh, this is not something that we've done in the past and our current environment truly, truly dictates that we are more open about things like grief, fatigue and, and loss. We are now in the throes of the biggest crisis and even more so than you know the time we started uh, last year. This is very close to home for so many of us. It's not something we talk at work. It's, we sort of try and keep these two worlds very separate, but I think it's time that we talked about these things. It's okay to not be okay, I guess. Being on those words, I think it's been a fantastic um, conversation, Ruchira. Uh, I think you've really brought home the theme that you cover in your book, that coaching is leadership's secret sauce. Um, and I've got my own four C's as takeaways, which I'll read back to you. <laughs> um, so coaching, and again, building from what, of course, you said, number one, it's about the coachee. So it's ask, not tell. It's about the other person. It's not about me giving the gyan of my, uh, whatever, 30 years and so, so on. Second, it's about conversations, okay? And it's not just the longish conversations, it's continuous conversations. You know, like yeah. what you emphasize that, you know, it's those small snatches of moments, just now what you said, like right after a meeting or whatever. Uh, and I think most important uh, is also, it's about making that connection. You know, there's a connection of trust. There's a connection of sharing. Um, uh, it's of course harder in a virtual world, but. I think as leaders, once if we can make that connection individually with people. So many times, you know, building on what Jemit said, we are meeting in groups. Okay, in, in, in an office, it was very easy to do those one-to-ones, uh, unscheduled one-to-ones at lunch or, you know, in the corridors or wherever, and those are missing uh, now. But it's very important for every leader to build that uh, connection. Um, so I think those are sort of my takeaways, uh, but fantastic conversation. Uh, over to you, Jemit. I think uh, Richard, it's quite interesting to uh, hear this and understand. And I would, uh, I would wholeheartedly endorse what uh, she's, uh, uh, she's trying to propound or explain. And I've seen that in my life over a period of time from being uh, more of a young player to a mid-level, like you're the captain. And now towards as a senior, your role is more coaching. And uh, you, I realize all those mistakes uh, that I would have, I have made. And I think what Richard uh, is able to point them out and explain very simply. I think uh, I may, I may want to uh, cop out and say one second, there was a role for the organization and somewhere in this coachy thing, the organization's ability to reward coaches as opposed to performance somewhere in the back of their head or somewhere is extremely, extremely critical. That's one thing that I may add Ruchira with your permission. And uh, I think uh, what you're seeing is also interesting. And in these times, it's extremely difficult. I was reading 
one more interesting article saying that the only time humans see other people's face so closely are only twice either you want to kiss them or you want to kill them and <laughs> <laughs> either in, so and in this so we bad coaching karne ka it's so difficult it is so difficult i think to sit behind to look somewhere else to have these nice conversations and to have these unstructured conversations with a lot of people probably the best coaching is not coaching it's just talking and explaining Absolutely. and working so Absolutely. i i think many years ago i read this book and it laid on my shelf for i think 8 years before i from buying to picking up and reading and probably you know they say there is a, always a right book for you and that book at that time was absolutely brilliant because it changed the way i think how i interact or try and coach people and i think what you're saying is is a beautiful real business uh, application of it that was more on psychology but it was if you meet buddha on the road kill him by sheldon cop <laughs> so it's 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 it also speaks about that saying that don't answer this question isko buddha bahar nahi chahiye you have to find it inside of yourself Absolutely. and the best coaches are able to enlighten you without really even knowing it and after 5 years you realize bhai that was the greatest guy ever i met exactly <laughs> as a kung fu panda says the answer lies within you i am telling you kung fu panda na ka part 1 and part 2 na उसके ऊपर पूरा बुक हो गया I think it's very very interesting, and our listeners would well be advised to uh, go through it and to listen to this conversation for sure, and listen to many such hyper brain conversations. We keep releasing them on a periodic basis, one hour of beautiful conversations with such beautiful hyper brains. Thank you, thanks a lot. Thank you.